This podcast is produced by Unedited. The quality of our life is proportionate to the quality of our emotions. Hmm. It's not about stuff. It's not about the acquisition of things. It's not about status. It's not about prestige. It's not about self-importance. All of that stuff is fluff and it's unfulfilling, right? Um, so, so let's make sure that when we look towards our real goals and dreams, that we center it on the right things, on things that matter most. Hello and welcome to episode 174 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. And every week we hear the story of an inspirational guest to help you find more clarity in your thinking and experience a greater sense of happiness in your life. And having been through my own battles with depression and anxiety, I decided to create this platform to help you with your mental, physical, emotional and spiritual growth. But before we jump into this week's episode, I'm really excited to announce that my self-published book, The Search for Clarity, is out this week on Friday the 24th of July. And this book shares my experiences and biggest learnings of going through living in a negative headspace to now living from a place of clarity and happiness and how you can do the same too. So if you want to be one of the first people to get a copy, you can get yours on pre-order by simply heading to thedreamersdisease.co.uk forward slash clarity or you can pre-order a Kindle version via the Amazon store. So on this week's episode, I am joined by Ben Woodward, who is the author of The Empowerment Paradox. And I knew straight away that I needed to get Ben on this podcast when I read the introduction to the book, as his journey resonates so much with my own. So I'm really excited to have him on, really excited to share the learnings in the book and the seven virtues that he lays out in it. During this conversation, we spoke about why you need to let go of your past to move forward, how facing adversity leads to hope, and why you should want your dreams more than your fears. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire. So if you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Ben. Great to be with you. Yeah, likewise, man. And I appreciate you being up at super early crack of dawn in uh, California time. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, it's early, but it's great. So it's yeah. good. Are you, are you much of an um, early morning, early riser anyway, or is this unusual <laughs> for you? Yeah, no, I am perhaps more out of necessity. I've got uh, seven children. Seven. So, uh, yeah, so we've been having early mornings for about 20 years now. So it's, <laughs> it's the norm. Yeah, it's oh, the I didn't norm. feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. How, and how on earth have you managed seven kids? That just seems mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do predominantly give most of the credit to my good wife. I think she... She is just the master mother. She's just incredible in that role. And uh, if it wasn't for her, it would be a lot. But she she is just a great steadying influence in the home. So yeah, love that. Love that. I'm sure we'll dive in a bit deeper into how that works for the family and how it works with you. But do you want to just give people who are listening a little uh, introduction into who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. So I've recently just published the book, uh, The Empowerment Paradox. Uh, really thrilled with uh, its initial reception. It became a bestseller overnight, which wow. has been just fantastic. Uh, and and the book uh, discusses first of all the the essential duality of suffering and joy, how they need to coexist, um, two sides of a single reality. Um, and so the first part of the book really explores why does suffering have to exist in the first place? Uh, what role does it play in our lives? Uh, half the problem for many of us is our refusal to embrace it, to accept its reality. And, uh, and that causes a challenge for us in how we respond thereafter. Um, and so we look at that in the first context. And then, you know, moving on from there, we explore what are some of the essential or vital virtues that we can possess 
and develop and practice so that we can respond to it well um, and not just deal with it and move on or compartmentalize, but how we can embrace our challenges, our adversity, whatever it may be, in whatever way, shape or form it comes, um, and then be transformed by it for the better. Um, often I've found, as I've confronted some of my challenges, um, they are a catalyst for greater development and transformation in becoming the best version of myself. Mm. Uh, and that's the, that's the interesting thing is we all have our unique challenges, but perhaps that's part of the identity that can shape us for the better versus mark us or shame us or position us for something that we don't want to be. Yeah, that's it. And I think, I think you, you mentioned there, you know, like overcoming your own challenges. And I think what, what was really great about just the introduction of the book is it, it really grabbed me because it resonated a lot with my own journey in terms of like realizing what it was I was going through and kind of having like a bit of an awakening moment. And then you go through the sort of phases, as you mentioned, of accepting, and then you start to go on this journey of, of understanding more. So what was that kind of journey like for you before you kind of, you know, you mentioned the kind of bout of, of depression and suffering that you're going through. Like what, what was that journey like up until that point for you? Uh, difficult <laughs> because uh, I, I wasn't fully accepting what I was dealing with. And, and you know, the different virtues that I've put in the book are, I guess, an, an outcome of my own learning journey. Yeah. Um, for example, I, I reference in the book, you know, my wife, when she was, uh, when she'd given birth to our sixth child, she had, um, for the first time in her, you know, pregnancy and post-pregnancy experience, she developed postpartum depression. She, she was, you know, and, and she hadn't experienced that before and that was unusual to her. Um, but she acknowledged it straight away, went straight to the doctors, um, and then got some help <laughs> and was all the better for it. And she was talking to me about it. Uh, about this is how she's feeling. She's feeling really low. She just doesn't quite understand it. And she did some research on it and what she was feeling and was this connected with you know, her pregnancy and so on. Um, she got informed. She got educated. She reached out. She spoke about it. She got help. And she moved on. Mm. And I was like, and, and, but, but in the process, we were talking and I had loads of books on the subject, not, not necessarily directly on depression, but lots of self-help books because I've been trying to grapple with things myself. And I was saying, oh, I understand how you feel. And you, when I feel that way, I do this or I do that. And, and I had all this insight. And she was like, how do you know so much on this? <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, well, I've kind of felt that way for about seven years. Yes. <laughs> right? And she was like, what? Um, I just, but what I'd done is I'd just pushed it inwards and pushed it down into a deep, dark place and tried to bury it and not deal with it. Mm. And, um, I, I, and so I just put on this facade, right? Because I wanted to be strong on the outward appearance of things, but was actually dealing with something massive inside, which I wasn't talking about. So, so that, that was you know, kind of my initial journey was I hadn't put a name to it because I hadn't fully understood what it was I was working with. Uh, and I didn't open up and talk about it, which was problematic because then it turns into something very different mm. if it's all inside and not being properly addressed because your mind has this great capacity to distort reality if it's only got itself to work with. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was an interesting thing. So she kind of, you know, 
she kind of kicked me into gear in a really positive way um, and facilitating talking about it, getting help and then getting the proper treatment for it, which was fantastic. So from that point on, my experience started to shift. Yeah. And I think the, the bit that really struck me was, and, and the reason I say it resonates a lot with my journey is because I had a similar moment, which wasn't as fully formed as yours in terms of like I already had self-help books and I was already trying to figure this stuff out for myself but I had a moment where I admitted for the first time out loud in front of an ex-girlfriend of mine what it was that I was going through and what it was that I was feeling that I didn't feel like myself and the, the bit that really struck me was how you described these feelings and these thoughts and this darkness and this you know this shutting away and this this depression or whatever you want to call it as feeling normal and that's just what you thought that's just you know the kind of cards that you felt you were dealt and I definitely felt like I was in a in a very similar position because you know you you kind of just you accept it in a in a way of of um being resigned to it and you're just like well this is just how I am this is this is how it is and reading that just really struck a nerve of me because I was like wow I've never really you know I've heard people talk about it before and you know, describe their kind of own stories and their journeys, but I've never really heard anyone else describe it in the same way that I do in terms of it just felt normal. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything else. I just felt like that was how my life was. And there didn't, there wasn't another, another side to it. It's just, that was it. And, you know, I think that was really, yeah, really struck a nerve for me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fascinating point um, because you know, what happens is when we get into an emotional state like this, you know, where if you're experiencing uh, depression, it, it, you know, especially from a from a mental health perspective, everyone has ups and downs. Yeah, everyone will have moments where they are really happy or really depressed or really anxious or really stressed, and there can be lots of natural uh, triggers for that. You know, um, that 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 make it normal and you know a, a natural part of life uh, because that's what happens with our emotions. There's variety and diversity within them. Um, but if you're experiencing something from a clinical perspective, like clinical depression, mm -hmm. uh, and, and for me, you know, I, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, then, then that, that's a different experience. There's some, there's some biology going on there. There's some chemistry going on there that needs adjusting. And you know, what we've got to appreciate is for a start, you know, it's a little bit like someone that's a diabetic where you, can, you can't tell that person, well, just suck it up. And, and, you know, your insulin levels will correct themselves, have a better attitude. It doesn't work that way. They need to have those insulin injections uh, in order to get the levels right and get their body balanced. They can't just change it with a good attitude. Yeah. Mm. If someone's got a heart condition, high cholesterol, you can't tell them, well, just try a little harder. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, again, using my wife as an example, uh, she developed a thyroid condition and, um, and her doctor, she, her doctor said, well, you really need a, um, a thyroid hormone um, tablet you know, each day just to get your balance right because your body isn't creating enough of that thyroid hormone. Mm. And, um, and uh, she's like, I don't want to be on medication for the rest of my life. I'll, I'll deal with this. And he, and he just kind of calmly smiled and nodded. Okay, well, when you're ready to come back, let me know. Right? I'll be here. Because he knew you can't change that with, with, with your attitude. Right. It's something else. It's, exactly. it's chemistry. So, so with something like this, if you know, it's the same, you know, it's, it's a different organ in the body. 
And if there's something out of kilter, you sometimes need to do something about that to correct it. Sometimes that involves some medication and that's okay. Uh, it also requires other things for me, I've, I've also found, but you know, in regards to getting good sleep, you know, making sure I have a good, healthy lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. But to, to your earlier point, if, if we get into an emotional state like that, that where depression becomes the norm, um, it happens gradually, subtly. It's like the dew on the grass on a, on a, you know, on a nice morning. It's there in the morning when you wake up, but you never actually saw it get there. All right? it's, not like, it's not like rain. Yeah? It just kind of somehow settles and then it emerges. And, and it's a little bit like that. And then over time, it's just there all the time and you don't know it. And it's just your normal reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the, the juxtaposition between your wife's experience and your experience casts, you know, how different it can be where she, she almost experienced this new thing, which she was like, Oh, what's that? That's not a normal thing for me. Whereas mm. from our experience, it's that, that what you just said there, the metaphor of it just settles in and eases in very, very gently. And then it just becomes, the norm and the yeah. reality. And I think that's also an important part is to understand that there's everything else in between the two, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's right. Because the reality is with something like this, it, it affects each individual in a very different way. It manifests in a different way. And, um, and that's what makes it a little bit challenging and a little bit unique. Um, but, but what's important is that we have the willingness and the courage to open up about it, to say it's okay, um, and, and not be concerned about stigma. You know, sometimes if we use that word depression, um, people feel very vulnerable and exposed. Mm. Yeah. I, I have to confess, I was a little bit nervous uh, referencing it in my book. I, I hadn't, prior to launching my book, or publishing my book, I, I hadn't, publicly announced or told a lot of people that I struggled with bipolar disorder. Um, that, that was a huge thing for me. My career um, previously has always had me in front of a lot of people. I've been the president of a multi, multi-million dollar organization that was in 35 countries. Uh, I've worked with literally thousands of people. I've got organizations that I work with where I provide coaching, training, mentoring, um, consulting with big organizations as well. Um, and I thought, oh gosh, if I open up and share this, how will people respond? What's going to be the reaction? Yeah. Um, but the reality is the, the outcome has been incredible. People have been so uh, grateful for the honesty, for the courage, for the bravery that it took. And they've been encouraged themselves to go, maybe I can be a little bit more honest with where I'm at and with what I'm struggling with mm. and become my more, be more my authentic self. Um, and I think that'll make me happier. And, uh, and it's been great that that's empowered other people to take that brave step forward and you know, be more authentic themselves. Yeah, exactly. So why do you think then that we have this fear around, you know, what is essentially a label or word, you know, in respects to what it means for us externally from other people's point of view, like for you being, you know, having bipolar disorder and being being labeled in inverted commas with that or depression or anxiety or mental illness in general you know insert here why do you yeah. think we have that fear 
Well, it seems to, first of all, again, I'll you know, reference this juxtaposition that you referenced before. You know, when I first got diagnosed and I was sat down you know, in a hospital with a psychiatrist and he says, yes, you've got bipolar type two, right? This is what it is. I was thrilled, <laughs> right? I was, I was genuinely excited with that diagnosis. And you might listen and go, what? Why would, why would you be excited to be told that you've got bipolar disorder? Because I was already having a very real struggle, hmm. right? And, and language, words give meaning. Yeah, they give context and understanding. And when he gave that diagnosis, that those words gave context and meaning to what I was struggling with and then gave me a way forward to know how to deal with it. Now I know what it is. Now I can research it. Now I can study it. Now I can understand it. Now we can get the proper help. Now I can move forward with greater strength. And, and it was a weight off my shoulders and a breath of fresh air. That was the internal, personal, yeah. private reaction to, the, to, to that diagnosis. Publicly, initially, I was like, okay, I don't want to talk about this to many people because they may judge me. Hmm. And that was totally wrong, right? Why, why do we worry about that? Well, maybe there's there's some of our own insecurities in there. There are some negative self la uh, negative labels um, or connotations or um, stereotypes, perhaps, that people um, misinterpret with, with, with mental health. Um, I've even had that myself with people close to me that have, that have gone, oh, I can't imagine that you've got bipolar disorder. I think that's wrong, right? Um, because you don't look like the kind of person that's got and It's like, oh, what, what does a person with bipolar disorder look like? Right? Yeah. Should I have a bell around my neck? Right? <laughs> should, I, should, I, should I walk with a funny walk and look disheveled as I am down the street? Should I be totally unemployable? What, what, what do you expect from me? And um, they had these preconceptions that were just actually totally incorrect. And, um, and, and we're getting to a place now, fortunately, in the world where more people are comfortable speaking up talking about it and going, Hey, you know, you know me and here am I, you know, this is what I've got. And, and they reveal it. And there's some great examples of fantastic men and women that have achieved great things in the world and in their lives that have also struggled with mental health. And, um, it, you know, I, I just think we need to get a few more examples out there of people that are doing great things they're doing just fine, but they've got this struggle and that's okay. So it, we just need to get better context for people to understand it. Exactly. And I think a lot of it comes down to, to, to the accepting within yourself, isn't it? Like a lot of, you know, what I coach about and the, the, the content I make through the podcast and other stuff is all about just be you. Like being you is great. Like it's fine. Like it doesn't yeah. matter if you've suffered with X or you've suffered with Y. Like, that's totally fine. We're just, we're human beings. We, we can't expect to not have ups and downs. We can't expect to not have internal conflicts or struggles. Like it's all totally fine. And the more you can kind of be comfortable and accepting of that, the more you can almost free yourself from the restrictions or the constraints of what those words and those meanings, you know, are supposed to mean for you. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah, a couple of points on that. If we don't accept it ourselves, our struggle will be harder. Mm. And, and I'm speaking from personal experience, yeah, because I, I got my diagnosis. I was thrilled, like I said at the beginning, but then I went through these wonderful stages of, oh, maybe it's not right. Maybe I don't have that. Maybe I'm just being stupid, 
Maybe I'm just being weak. Maybe I just need to try harder. All that stuff that I'm saying earlier on that other people say to, to you if they don't understand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying to myself and, and I'd go through these phases of accepting it and not accepting it of being okay with it and not being okay with it, uh, of dealing with it and working myself through it properly and then just surrendering to it and giving in. Yeah. And, uh, and, and for a while I was kind of blown about just with whatever my mood was, that's where it took me because I wasn't properly confronting it and addressing it and dealing with it. And that just kind of wrecked, wreaked havoc in my life. It wasn't helpful or productive at all. So it is a journey. That's what I would say is once, if you are struggling with mental health, um, even if you do get a diagnosis, that you don't suddenly master the moment from there on in. Yeah. It, It is a journey, isn't it? Of development, of getting there. And, you know, right now, I'm totally okay with where I'm at. Uh, but I also say right now, uh, because maybe down the road, I might have a moment where I go, I'm not okay with this. I'm fed up again, right? Because we're human mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah, we, we can take it one step at a time. Uh, and I think that's just really important is it, it is a journey to accept it. It's a journey to understand it. It's a journey to embrace it. And it's a journey to be transformed by it. Transformation doesn't happen in a moment. And um, yeah, change can happen in a moment. There's a difference between change and transformation. Change can happen in a moment. Yeah, a change means I can, I can you know, if I was in an organization, for example, I can change an organization structure, put someone else, move someone over there. I can put one of my kids in, in a different room. I can change my house around pretty quick. Yeah. But for transformation to occur within an individual, uh, that takes time, doesn't it? That's a journey. Transforming is a process. Change can be an event. Um, And sometimes experiences in life can change us. Um, but, But with something like this, if we really want to become our best selves and use our mental health as a vehicle for that, that's a transformative journey that will happen over time. Mm, yeah and I think you know you've used the word journey quite a few times there and I think a big thing for me that I've really begun to realize recently is 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 to be where you are on your journey be where you are on that journey you know don't try and be five months down the line or don't try to be this perfect version of yourself or this this um healed version of yourself Mm. you know just be where you are on the journey and wherever that is, is totally fine. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, you said right now you're fine because this is where you are right now on your journey. And when you yeah. get to a point, maybe in similar for me, when I have days where I don't feel as great and my energy is low and I feel like I'm suffering a bit more, that's also fine because I'm going to be with that in that place on, on that space of the journey, rather than wanting to get away from it and be somewhere else and causing yeah. more inner conflict and more, more struggle, more suffering, be where you are on the journey. And, and when you really do understand that, that that's where a lot of the accepting that you know you were speaking about comes into play and with the accepting comes a letting go and with a letting go becomes a space to grow yeah. to move forward to kind of you know carry on and one of the things that you said you mentioned actually right at the beginning it's in the book also is the is the duality of joy and suffering and again this is really interesting because i always talk about the relationship of pleasure and pain and then being on the same side of uh, two sides of the same coin. So do you want to explain a bit about 
how that kind of works within this whole dynamic that we're kind of working through here? Yeah, well, well it's, it's accepting the reality, first of all, that uh, suffering is an essential part of life. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know of anyone. You know, I've spoken now in audiences in uh, close to 30 countries around the world. Yeah. And, um, and I've asked regularly, by show of hands, how many of you have found that life has turned out exactly as you anticipated or hoped? Right? No one puts their hand up. Right? No one has ever put their hand up and said, yes, I'm now 50 and my life has gone exactly as I expected it would go from when I was a kid. <laughs> right? Even the young ones that are in the rooms, yeah, that are in their 20s, well, they've not raised their hands. Life, had, life does not go as we expect. Uh, and because we're not in complete control, that's a wonderful illusion if we think we are. We're not. Um, we are free to act, but we're also free to be acted upon. Things will happen to us, and we've got our responsibility to react and to respond. Um, so we've got this challenge that exists first and foremost, that uh, suffering occurs, and it starts young. Um, you know, we've got this wonderful misconception that uh, childhood should be free of suffering. Mm. It's 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 a nice thing to want, but it's also not reality either for them. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so I, yeah, I do kind of talk about that, but the critical thing is, you know, and I, I discussed this later on in the book, it kind of weaves in a little towards the end where I talk about one of the essential skills that we need to develop or practices that we need to engage with is this principle of surrender when it comes mm -hmm. to suffering or adversity or challenge, whichever way it presents itself. And what does it mean by surrender? Well, it, it's not about giving up. You know, often we think of that, don't we? If, if I'm in war and I surrender, my hands go up and I'm given in, right? I'm given up. It, it's not that. What, what surrender means is that we are willing and we commit to letting go of our illusions. And the illusions that we hold on to that keep us trapped in this pain cycle, right? And if we want to get out of that, we've got to let go of it. And essentially, I was talking to my wife the other day and she said, uh, Oh, she says, but if you, if you let go of the illusions, don't you run the risk of letting go of your dreams? Yeah. Right. And I said, well, that's exactly why people hold on to the illusions in the first place. Right. Because they fear if, if, if I pretend that this isn't real for me and I just keep my mind set on where I wanted my life to go, even though life is taking me down a different path right now, if I pretend this isn't happening, and, uh, and, and that this isn't real. If I bury my head in the sand, if I look the other way, if I do something else, there's a whole lot of ways that we can hold on to those illusions. Yeah. If I, if I hold on, then maybe my dream can still come true. Maybe my, my desired reality may still come to pass. And it's like, but it won't. You've got to be willing to let go of that. And so it was interesting that that observation she made, don't we run the risk of letting go of our dreams in that process? That's exactly why people hold on to it in the first place. Yeah. But, but the reality is when we let go of the illusions, then we have the mind space to deal with the challenges that we're confronted with uh, and, and, and address them in a, in a healthy fashion and then discover new dreams that will be achievable and realistic. Um, and they may be, and in my experience, 
when we do that, we're becoming a stronger version of ourselves. And those dreams that become the new dreams may be enhanced versions of our original ones, mm. or they may be a better opportunity to realize them and grab them in the first place. Yeah. Because I'm now confronting and dealing with the challenges that I'm, I'm thrown that have been thrown my way. Now that I'm doing that, now I'm going to be better equipped to get my dreams. Yeah, exactly. And, and how, how do you then find the, that balance between having the dreams, having the fears, being where you are and being present, you know, in your journey, but also not having the attachment to the potential outcomes or, or the potential downfalls. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about being here, being now, being where you are on the journey, but how can you also do that with the goals and the ambitions mm. in mind as well? That's, that's a huge question. So <laughs> I know. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, but it's great because it's, it's such an important question. It's such an important question. So, okay. So we've got this, you know, we've, we've got this concept here of I've got dreams and aspirations. I want to reach for them. I've got things that hold me back that are barriers, uh, conflict, suffering, adversity, challenge, setbacks, whatever it may be that is in the way between me and my dreams. Um, at the same time, around that, I've got my illusions that I'm holding on to that are trying to help me believe that maybe some of these challenges aren't real um, or maybe uh, they're getting in the way of my dreams in a way that isn't real, isn't practical. I'm not confronting. I'm not addressing some of my concerns. I've got fear on top of that um, that's maybe interfering with me taking the right steps. Uh, what do I do? First of all, this is what I'd say. I need to want my dreams more than I am willing to want my fears. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've, my, 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 my commitment to my dreams has to be greater than my commitment to my fears. Yeah. Because one has to win. Which one is it going to be? If, if I don't respond to my dreams, if I let my fear be bigger, then it's going to swallow up my dreams. So my, 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 my ambitions, my hopes, and my dreams, I have to make bigger than my fears. That way I can respond not without fear, but regardless of fear. That's where courage comes in, yeah? Because courage isn't the absence of fear. It's a willingness to, to work and to act in spite of it. So if we can do that, if we can make sure that our dreams are bigger than our fears, then we can move towards them. Then... If we're willing, if we really make that commitment, we've got to, we've got to have that, that vision in our mind. And that actually, that this, this kind of walks us through the virtues, mm. just interestingly enough. Yeah. Because uh, the virtues we talk about, you know, starting out with a disciplined heart, right? That, that's the first virtue. I, I can't move towards my dreams if I don't first have a disciplined heart. So I want to have that vision. And that vision isn't necessarily something that I see with my eyes. It's, I see it with my mind's eye and it's, and it's created often within my heart. You know, what does my heart yearn for? And I've got to visualize that and create that into something compelling and robust so that I'm committed to pursuing it. Education, um, having a disciplined mind kind of follows next. Okay. Let's get, let's get educated on the subject so that we can move forwards towards that goal. So these, these virtues actually will lead you towards that process of fulfillment and realization of your dreams in a, in a holistic, um, practical, honest way. Mm -hmm. and, and I stress that principle of honest because 
we live in a world where there are a lot of people saying you can have everything you want and sometimes in the moment that you want it, right? You deserve everything. We don't deserve anything, yeah? The world has been around longer than us, right? So we shouldn't demand that the world owes us something. The world owes me nothing. It's been around for millennia, right? After millennia, after millennia. It owes me nothing. But it does seem to ask something of us. So what does it ask? That's the bit that we've got to figure out, is we've got to be willing to put aside our own agenda along this journey and recognize that who we become is the most important thing. So to that point, you know, to, to that, that question, our, our dreams have to be bigger than our fears. Otherwise our fear will win. And at the same time, we've got to be willing to accept that who we become is the most important thing. You know, the quality of our life is proportionate to the quality of our emotions. Hmm. It's not about stuff. It's not about the acquisition of things. It's not about status. It's not about prestige. It's not about self-importance. All of that stuff is fluff and it's unfulfilling, right? Um, so, so let's make sure that when we look towards our real goals and dreams, that we center it on the right things, on things that matter most. And what matters most in my eyes? Relationships. Yeah, it's, it's what we can give to others. It's our contribution to the world that is meaningful and valuable. It's relationships. Um, and, and it's centered, in my opinion, in love. You know, the more we know how to love and to love well and to be, to be um, so positive in that way, uh, I think the happier we become. And the more we can contribute, the more we can give. Um, but, it's, but, but that, again, that comes back to these virtues. That requires us to have a good character. Yeah, you know, the disciplined heart, you know, to have the patience, uh, to be willing to let go of the past, to surrender every, you know, judgment and, and resentment, to forgive it all, to let it go, um, and to walk forwards with confidence and conviction towards the best version of ourselves. Along the way, life will change our course and move its direction into ways that we didn't expect or plan for. Things will still come on along the, our journey that are difficult to deal with, and we've just got to go, that's okay. We've got to be willing to pivot. When I've been in charge of big organizations commercially, um, we will set our goals. We will have business plans and create strategies for growth and transformation and change and expansion into new markets and, and introducing new products and all that kind of stuff. And it's all exciting, but you've got to be willing to build a strategy and a plan that is flexible enough to deal with the unexpected. I've learned in business that I'm, I'm never in control of everything. Things happen. I had this great product launch a couple of years ago that was going to be this big international thing. And, and then there was a strike at the ports in LA, uh, not too far from where my head office is. And what happens? We can't get the product off the ship. <laughs> right? How are we going to have this product launch when we can't get it yeah. into the hands of our customers? It's, it's stuck there because there's a strike on at the port where the ship, where the product is, is held. And it's like, what do we do now? Well, I can't do anything about that. I can't deal with that. All I can do is respond. Yeah. And there will be things that come into our life that will be, un will be unprepared for. And we've got to just go, how do I respond to this? What do I do with this? How does this shape my goal? How does it influence my strategy? What do I do? And, and we've just got to be willing to, 
be a little bit more like water and be, be willing to go with the flow a little bit sometimes and to keep our eye on the, on the target, but uh, know that how we get there sometimes will change and vary along the way. Mm, I love it because it's almost like a spiritual approach, isn't it? Of mm. the trusting in the process, the knowing that it will, it will work itself out, you know, being dynamic to change. And I think, you know, yeah. we, we often want to, by having a goal, we almost put the blinkers on too much. Like we only see the one outcome, the one, the one way to get there, the one idea, the one whatever. But actually when you, when you have the goal and you have a trusting in the process, you open yourself up to more possibilities in terms of how that goal presents itself. And it might even present itself in, in its final form in, in a completely different way to what you originally had mm. thought, you know? And I think that's beautiful because like you said, we're not in control of every aspect of every area of everything. We, we are here on this, you know, planet, you know, within this ecosystem of the world and, and the universe, whatever you want to say, but we have to, and there's a certain amount of us that we have to trust in what we're doing, where we're going, because the goals are just, they're just external factors and, and realities for us Like the end, the internal world that we shape for ourselves, you know, much through, you know, the virtues that you describe in the book, mm are what are going to shape how those dreams present themselves for yourself in any way. So yeah. it's more focus on focus on the internal focus on the inside and allow the external to present itself, how it will do when you go through that trust in process. So do you want to talk through the seven virtues that you've got in the book and, and kind of what each of them kind of mean, what they represent and then ultimately how they all, <laughs> how they all work it's together. Play. Yeah, because yeah. it's not like step one, step two, it's seven virtues that all work interconnectedly. So I think it'd yeah. be awesome to kind of hear a bit about those and, and the way they work together. Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll run through them in sequence as, as they appear in the book. But like you said, they, they are all interconnected and they kind of weave together, yeah? Uh, so the first one is a disciplined heart. The second is an educated mind. The third is nourished faith. The fourth is well-practiced patience. The fifth, a liberated past. A sixth, diligent work. And seven, willful surrender. Um, and so what I like about this is there is an initial degree of sequence as it starts out. But of course, as, as you practice it and apply it in your life, you find that you know, at some point you're going to be working with all of them simultaneously. Um, not, not in an overwhelming sense at all, but that's just because that's kind of what life demands. So I start out by saying, you know, the disciplined heart uh, is the, the essential starting point because what is the starting point for transformation? I've got to desire it. Yeah. What we, what we think about and desire over time is what we eventually become. Yeah. Let me say that again, because it's really important. What we think about and desire consistently over time is what we will eventually become. Right. So the challenge is many of us don't understand or, or realize that I can change those desires if they don't suit my needs. Yeah. What happens if I desire the wrong things? Yeah. A lot of people have that, ch that challenge. Yeah. I think we all do in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Uh, food is a great example. All, all the wrong stuff tastes great. Yeah. yeah. And so it's very easy to desire the wrong stuff. It's very easy to desire to sleep in 
or to go to bed when maybe you should be working on that extra project if you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to not desire the self care that we might need to give ourselves because other things are more pressing or more favorable or more pleasing in the moment. Yeah. Many of the challenges that the world faces right now come as a result of people not being able to apply the first discipline, uh, the first virtue, the disciplined heart, because a lot of people will make impulsive or, imp or decisions because they want to satisfy the moment. They get into debt unnecessarily. Why? Because it feels good right now to get what I'm getting. Yeah. Um, we've got to avoid that kind of challenge. So a disciplined heart, really critical as a starting point, meaning let's look at my desired dream. Um, as we were talking about before, what is my aspiration? Okay. I've got to discipline my desires. I've got to train my desires to want that more than it wants the other stuff. Mm. Yeah. More than it wants the ease. Cause you've got to want the consequences of what you want. So if I want to be really successful in a particular venture, uh, that will always bring with it sacrifice and discipline. I've got to want the sacrifice and discipline more than I want the comfort and the ease. Like I was saying before, I've got to want my dreams more than I, uh, they've got to be bigger than my fears. So I've got to make that so. So training my, my desires, disciplining my desires is a starting point. That's, that's where the first virtue comes in. The second one, an educated mind, kind of dovetails in nicely from that because we've got to get smart about what we want. You know, so, and that's part of kind of training our heart uh, and disciplining that and, and getting our desires in the right place. But I, I, I pulled that point in uh, into the framework because of my own journey with understanding my mental health yeah. uh, complexities. Uh, if you don't know what you're working with, that's hard. We, we don't want to have um, the situation where we're just being kicked about by life yeah, and not knowing what's going on. Um, if, if you do have a struggle with depression or, or with bipolar or with any other mental health challenge um, or any other type of complex situation that causes you some sense of grievance or, or anxiety or stress or worry or hurt. Cause it can be a host of different things. It could be trauma. It could be the loss of a loved one. Mm -hmm. It could be some type of chronic pain of disappointment. My, I'm, I'm in the middle of my life and it's not turning out the way I expected. How come I'm in this bum job doing this garbage stuff when I was expecting myself to be further along in life? What's going on here? Yeah. It can be a host of different things. Um, if, if you want that to change, uh, or if it can't change and you need to manage it better, then educate yourself on the subject. Mm -hmm. Get smart about it, right? And be informed. Wherever we are at in our educational journey, my invitation is always level up. Always strive to be smarter, right? Don't, don't be complacent and think that what you know is enough. It never is. We should always strive to be more educated and more informed. Uh, I think that's a really important part of being empowered to make the changes in the world and in our lives the way that we, we want to. We've got to be smarter, uh, regardless of how smart and educated we are. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the second one. The third one is this principle of faith, which is understanding and accepting no matter how much you know, 
there's always going to be times where you don't know, <laughs> right? And, and that's okay. There's always going to be times where in that context of not knowing, I'm going to have to take a leap of faith with something. I'm going to have to walk into the dark and see what's around the corner with the conviction and hope that, that's, that it's going to work out, that it's going to be all right. Yeah. And, and this ties in again to that earlier question about how do we pursue our dreams when we've got fears, mm -hmm. when we've got illusions, when we've got struggles, when we've got adversity, when we've got challenge. Yes, we want to train our desires. Yes, we need to get educated. But then we need to be humble enough to know that there's going to be times in our lives where we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers and where our vision isn't as clear as we need it to be or want it to be to go to the next step. Yeah, 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 and so we, we've got to be willing to move forward anyway, versus stand there in fear. So how do we do that? Well, we exercise faith. Mm. Yeah, we've got so to be willing to knowing and the trusting element of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's exactly it. We've got to be willing to trust. Um, that that's a huge ingredient in faith, mm -hmm. is to trust in what is currently unknown, and hope that this action that I'm taking is going to move me in the right direction. Yeah. And, and you could say, well, well, what if it doesn't, then you'll find out <laughs> and it doesn't, <laughs> and matter. that's all right. And it doesn't matter. That's yeah. all right. You'll learn. The, the critical thing is to learn from it, evaluate and, and respond accordingly. And I think that will make a huge difference because we learn from experience and in learning from experience, we do something much better. We get a great outcome. Yeah. We, we, we get smarter, wiser and so on. And that's, that's what we want to have developing for us is that, ability to grow through experience. I, I talk about this. Um, it's kind of a virtue cycle. It's been taught for a couple of thousand years, in my opinion, that, um, that adversity leads to patience. Patience leads to experience and experience leads to hope. Right. And, uh, and I remember looking at that going, Hmm, that works for some, but it kind of works in the opposite direction for others as well, where, you know, for many people, adversity leads to impatience. Mm. Yeah. And then impatience leads to bad experience and then bad experience leads to hopelessness. Right. So how does that work? And it's like, well, people can have one or the other, but, but, but interestingly, isn't it interesting that you can start with adversity and end with a greater sense of hope. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. most of us go, we start with adversity and that robs you of hope. Yeah. How, how can I be more hopeful now that I've got this diagnosis of bipolar disorder? How can that give me greater hope and expectation for my life? Shouldn't that, shouldn't that steal that a little bit from you? Well, actually not at all because through my patient response to it, I've gained and developed more experience and greater understanding which has actually empowered my hope and given it legs so that I can engage with that in a meaningful way because I've let go of my illusions and I'm embracing my reality. And that experience as I've patiently engaged with it has fueled my hope, which makes my dreams and aspirations a, a greater reality for me. Yeah. So the adversity is an essential ingredient. It's a catalyst for change. We need it to move us forward. Um, so I, I think that's great. Yeah. It's so like the, uh, the Seneca quote where he says, um, so it's something along the lines of, I butcher quotes all the time. So it's something along the lines of excellence cannot thrive without adversity. Yeah. It, yeah. 
it's the same thing, right? It's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna need it so that you can go through that, that, that cycle that you just described to then to experience the excellence. So yeah, we, we need the friction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the thing I've seen plenty of people and, and it, it winds me up sometimes, you know, when they say, you know, these kind of self-help gurus that have got it wrong. Not all have. I'm not, I'm not blanket wiping them all out. I'm saying there are some. Right? They're, they're pursuing their own popularity versus trying to really genuinely help the people that they're with. And they give this false hope. The, the critical point that I was trying to make was, yeah, the challenge that we've got is we need the friction. And, 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 many, and, and there are a number of people that don't understand that point and they try to teach people, if you just visualize what does your future look like, your ideal self, and, and they go through this wonderful, you know, engaging exercise of, you know, create this, uh, this reality for yourself for the future, then pursue it, but what does it look like? And they encourage people to create this future that looks like some type of emotional homeostasis where there is no suffering, where there is no pain, where there is no adversity, where I don't have to work too. I work, yes, but, but not too hard because I've got the perfect work-life balance. Um, I've got perfect health. I've got perfect happiness. Everything is tranquil and everything is peaceful. Uh, I've got all everything that my heart desires. Well, that's not reality. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. We've got to be real here. We need, as you said, we need the friction. We need that friction actually to maintain a sense of balance in our own lives and in our own minds. Uh, the the rest time, just like if you want to build your muscles up, you need to break them down first. That's kind of the process mm. when you're when you're exercising. You break them down in order to build them up. Um, and, and there, there are other paradoxes that exist. You know, it's like, you know, if you're playing golf in order to hit the ball forwards, you swing backwards first, the club backwards, yeah. you swing the club backwards. Um, so there's all this different things that go on that, you, that, that are often paradoxes in life where it has us go the opposite way to the way that we think. And often the way forward, is leaning into the things that cause us to hurt and to struggle and to stress and to strain and to flex and to, and to sweat. But that is a critical component to getting the outcomes. And it's, it's one of the, one of the disciplines, uh, disciplines, uh, one of the virtues. Number six is diligent work. We've got to be willing to work hard. So we've got the mind educated. We've got the faith. We've got the, um, the, the, the desires that we're crafting and developing and practicing and working on, but we've got to really want it enough to work hard for it too. And, um, you know, there are, even if you're a genius, you still got to work hard. Yeah. Um, because there's over 7 billion people in the world, right? Over 7 billion, which means even if you are an incredible genius, a one in a million amazing individual, which we all want to be, yeah? But even if you're one in a million, then there's a thousand other people on the planet just like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So what's going to differentiate? In many instances, it'll be your ability and willingness to roll up your sleeves and work hard. Yeah? So we've got to be willing to do that. If we want that dream to come true, we've got to pay the price. And, and there, therein is one of the paradoxes is you've got to work as though it all depends on you but be humble enough to realize yeah. that it doesn't to trust that it, yeah, it's going to, it's going to work yeah. out itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, we've got to put that graft in and that work, but we've also got to realize 
that it's not exclusively us that makes it happen. Yeah. I've had a great experience with this book. Um, I'm really pleased with how it's responding. Um, but it didn't become a bestseller because exclusively it's me. Actually, it was a group of people that bought the book that made that so. So that shouldn't make me proud. It should make me grateful. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Because it was them that made that happen versus me. Um, so any victory, any success is really a group effort, isn't it? It's a collective, um, which again, we kind of go through in the book is this principle of humility in recognizing again, what there's paradoxes within the paradoxes in this book. Yeah. That, uh, the humility is that we are both nothing and everything simultaneously. Right. You know, if I take one of my children or all of my children, I've got seven kids. In fact, my wife's pregnant on our eighth. Right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a super exciting time. But, but when, when they're babies, you love them as the, from the moment they're born. You're just overwhelmingly in love with them more than anything that you can express and put into words. But if I left that little newborn baby in a room by him or herself to fend for themselves and to sort themselves out, they would quickly die. Mm-hmm. Left to their own strength, they are nothing, but to their parents and all the love that they have for them, because immediately that baby is an hour old, you'd give your life for it. Yeah. So in that context, they are everything. They're, they're worth more than my own life. Mm. So here they are. In one sense, they are nothing. Left to their own strength, they're inadequate. They're helpless. They can't even make themselves allow themselves to live left to themselves but when connected to others and the love that they have for them they are everything and that's one of the powerful paradoxes of life that can give us strength as we go through this process to achieve our dreams to allow ourselves to trust that our aspiration our dreams our vision our hopes for our dreams to come to a reality can be stronger than our fears It can be. It's not that, well, how do I make it stronger? You don't have to do that in isolation. When we realize that we are also that combination, that paradox of nothingness and everything simultaneously, which we can only realize when we're connected to others and and embrace the interconnectedness that the human race enjoys, that we have the power and the potential and the reality to achieve everything that we want to go out there and become that's that's the greatness of it i think mm. um is that that's that's what can come to pass yeah so that's, that's you know i think that's total in agreement with that because it's there we have got you know infinite amount of opportunities and possibilities presented to us in any given moment mm. and it's how we want to you know receive those or how we want to show up for those or how we want to embark on that journey you know, and I think that's, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but just coming back to the, the virtues, we've got um, the fourth one is the world practice patience. Um, why is that one an, an important one? I, I think I, I could write a whole book on that one alone. Yeah. Really? I think it's, it's a huge one. Yeah. There's one of my favorite sayings, an old proverb in patience, possess you your souls. Yeah. And I'd say the antithesis of that is also true. In impatience, we can lose them. Yeah. So it's really important. You know, you reference, I've used this word journey a lot. We've got to recognize 
that this whole experience that we're going through in life is a journey. And one of the challenges that I've experienced in enjoying this ride is that there are certain aspects of it that will go at a speed that I am not comfortable with. Yeah. And that might mean if I'm experiencing a particular challenge or a particular setback, it, it may come at a time that I don't like. It almost, it, it might also stick around for a time frame that I don't think I can handle. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is one thing that my mental health um, challenges have really taught me is of necessity. I have to be patient. Because if you've got something that's a chronic illness, it's not going to go away. I can have, yeah, I'm not saying that I, I struggle with it all the time. I don't. Um, but it's, it's always going to be a part of my life. Yeah. So what do I do about that? If it's always going to be a part of my life, then I've got to change my approach to dealing with it. I can get educated. I can have a vision of how I can move my life forwards. And I'm grateful that what it has done for me is it's shaped me into someone that has become a little bit wiser and a little bit smarter and a little bit more informed as a consequence. But patience has facilitated that. Um, my impatience has removed the lessons. I, I don't learn if I'm impatient. I don't, I don't get the right outcome if I can't stay the course. Yeah, so the patience is everything. It, it feeds into every virtue. Yeah. I, can't, I can't train my desires well if I'm not patient. I can't level up my education and really get smart enough if I'm not patient in that process. I can't really exercise my faith and trust and take those steps into the dark or maybe sit in the dark for a little while, you know, waiting for, for that right moment to be revealed. I can't sit in that space without patience. Yeah. Um, I can't really liberate myself from my past and let go of the hurts, the offenses, uh, because sometimes that might be a process if I'm not patient with myself or with others. I can't really work hard you know, and be disciplined with that and, and work towards my goal if it's going to take a few years if I'm not going to be patient with that journey either. And I can't surrender and let go of my illusions if I can't be patient in that gap, in that space of when I let go and when the reality becomes a, a new bright solution for me. That requires patience too. Mm. So patience weaves through all of the other virtues. Yeah. That, that, it's, it's a great one. It's, I think patience, yeah. it, it, it plays such a big role in our lives, just in general, you know, mm. you know, you have to be patient in order to thrive in many ways, because if you're being impatient, you're not showing up with the correct energy. You're not showing up with the correct you know, version of you or with the right yeah. you know, attitude or whatever it may be. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you need it all the way around. So the, the liberated past, I think, is an interesting one. I, I put that in because what I found was important is I, I mentioned before, this is all about a journey of us becoming our best self. Yeah. And, and a part of that process requires us to see ourselves in a different light. I can't see myself in the best light possible if I hold on to the past. Yeah. Uh, by way of, um, that, that can express itself in a number of different ways. If I'm holding on to the past in the way that others may have judged me 
uh, or um, maybe grievances or upsets or hurts. Maybe, you know, I define myself based on my upbringing. Yeah. My parents didn't give me a chance because they did this. Right. Uh, I didn't have this opportunity when all my friends had that opportunity and that was unfair. Right. Oh, well, you know, they, they were, they were given a head start over me. Um, I didn't get that privilege. I didn't have that chance. Uh, if, if we can't let go of all that stuff, then we're not going to get to properly define ourselves uh, and move forward. Uh, there are plenty of other people that have had different circumstances and they've moved on and they've been great, but they've all let go of that stuff. Yeah. Or they've used it as powerful energy to propel them forward. We've got to be willing to let go of whatever holds us back in order to move forward into the future. Um, I can't get to my goal. Um, and if it's a big one, it's going to be out of, out of my current reach. If I'm too busy anchoring onto and holding onto my past, yeah, that stops me from moving forwards. So I've got to know how to let go of that and how to move forward. That's a really critical point. Um, and that, that can include previous expectations that we put in ourselves. Yeah. Um, we've got to let go of those things too. Again, it comes back to living in the moment in order to move forward into the future. Yeah. That kind of ties into that. Um, yeah, that, that, and, and when we do that, I think that kind of puts us in a position where we can going on to that next principle or virtue of, of diligent work. Again, recognize that critical paradox that, um, we work, like I said before, as though everything depends on us, but we accept and realize that also it doesn't. Yeah. Any great victory that you want to achieve will not be done in isolation. It's always going to be, there's always going to be other people's involvement. I look at where I've come now in my life. I, I do get asked a lot in entrepreneurial circles or business circles, you know, sometimes what I've done to get some of the achievements that I've been able to mm. in, enjoy um, like I said, I, I've, I've um, been involved in multi-billion dollar companies and senior executive roles. I've run as a, as a global president at very large companies. Um, I've run my own business now. It's a multi-million dollar business. Uh, I've got a great busy family life. I've traveled all over the world. And, and they look at that, those symbols, if you will, and represent them, interpret them how they choose right? I'm not saying they're hallmarks for success, mm. but yeah. sometimes people interpret them that way and they go, oh, how did you do it? At first, naively, I thought, well, I had this commitment that I might not be the smartest person in the room, but I'll outwork anyone. And, and that, that was this, in reality, it was, a, um, it was a way of me trying to be humble by saying, hey, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I will work really hard. Uh, but it was a little bit of humble bragging right? No, uh, false humility. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what I've realized is actually, you know, I, I can't really say that just working hard got me to where I was. <clears throat> it's more than that. Other people were involved. Networks were involved being connected with the right people. And it's not, you know, people say it's not what you know, it's who, you know, it's also who knows you. Yeah. And, uh, and that's important too. So, so getting the balance right in working hard, but not being arrogant about it and saying, I achieved all of this by myself because I am this, right? We've got to be humble in that process and recognize that luck plays a part, being in the right place at the right time, uh, having the right connections, working. And you can create a degree of luck, but you've got to respond when luck presents itself. We've got to do a bit of both. Um, but we've got to acknowledge the role that other people play 
whilst at the same time working really hard. That's, that's the, that's the paradox of, of the hard work principle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. I think you see it with, with, you know, athletes, for example, they have to work hard in order to achieve great things, but it doesn't come just through that. You know, there is a team of people around. If you look at a tennis player, for example, it's a technically a solo sport, right? You play against one opponent, but that opponent has a whole coaching team, has a whole nutrition team, has a whole, you know, every marketing team, yeah. they have everything, everything there. And it's, you know, you, you have to put in the work, but also you have to be accepting of all of the other elements that come and tie into that to help yeah. you, you know, do the work that you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the reality is, whatever your dream or aspiration is for your life, um, please do not think that you get there on your own because you don't. Yeah, it is that network. And, and, and the, the, the wonderful thing about this is the same applies the other way around. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're finding really hard in life, please don't think that you have to struggle alone. You don't. We're all part of a network and we can connect again with others and they can help you through it. Whatever it is, that's the critical thing. We do not work alone. If, if you look at, you know, we've got this terrible thing in the world where we all differentiate and segment and we've got all these different countries and they represent different people. Yeah. And different cultures and, uh, different nationalities and what have you. The reality is we're all of one human race. And if you look at all these different cultures, all these different countries, all these different nations, not just now, but through all the eons of time, there isn't a single instance anywhere on the planet ever where a population of human beings has had as their primary culture that we work in isolation. Mm. Go live on your own. Go be by yourself. Try not to talk to other people. Being a hermit is the national way of living. It has never existed because we need the interconnectedness to get balance in our own lives. We've got all of these um, closed loop systems in our bodies. You know, our, our circulatory system, our endocrine system, uh, our lymphatic system, all closed loop, meaning they're self-regulating. But our emotional system is an open loop system meaning it requires input from external sources in order for us to get balance. Yeah. So whether it's up or down, wherever we're at, however we're feeling, we, we need the input and contribution of others to give us balance. Yeah. Love that. And I think, you know, if you, if you've ever, you know, looked into or, or know anything about blue zones, which is the, the, the pockets of, of communities where people live for a lot, a lot longer than the kind of average span of life a lot of that you know there's a lot of things that feed into it but a lot of one of the one of the impacts of that is the sense of community and being part of you know playing a greater role within the community and being an important part of that connectiveness within the community helps people thrive and and, and stay alive longer so it even works like yeah. you're saying when you look in in any kind of community or country or whatever like no one is ever thrown out there by themselves to do their own thing. Yeah. There's always a sense of community around it. Yeah. And, and that's what's helping people to thrive today, isn't it? Is mm -hmm. building is, is that we've now got this power and capacity to build our own communities. Um, and that's what people want. They want a sense of belonging um, and, a, and a, a sense of shared space where we have common values, common beliefs, and we have a voice within that community that gives us a chance to speak up and be heard and be listened to and understood and appreciated and valued. Uh, it's, it all comes back to that sense of interconnectedness, which is wonderfully the conclusion of the book. 
yeah, is, is that that's what it's all about. We are strongest. The, the virtues take us to a point where we can be independently strong. Yeah. But whatever comes our way, we can handle it. You know, we've got these virtues within us that we're practicing that give us strength and they self inform. Yeah. Because the patience teaches me something and I know what to do. I, I've disciplined my desires. I've trained my desires so that I'm now self-directed in, in the way that I should act. All these things kind of self inform self govern, which is great. But the true power isn't simply in applying these virtues in a way that empowers us as individuals. The true strength is in the realization that that power is amplified when we recognize the power and opportunity to be interconnected as a community. Mm. And when we connect together as, as one in a healthy, um, collaborative, cooperative way, where we support each other, we give each other help and strength, and where we embrace it and accept it when we need it, yeah, that we are far, power, far more powerful as a collective than we could ever be as individuals. And thus, our strength is really found there. Let's have that community. Let's reach out. Let's be our vulnerable selves. Let's be our true self. And if you've got the struggles, whatever they are, it's okay to talk about it. Get it out there. Talk. Be healthy. Respond. Accept the help. Give it back. You know, and just have that wonderful ebb and flow. You know, you know, it's like breathing. You know, sometimes yeah. we expand as we get stronger and we can reach out and we can help others. And other times we feel vulnerable and we contract. And that's when the strength of others' expansion can come into our lives and make up the difference. And we can breathe again. You know? And it's that wonderful expansion and contraction that we go through in life. But if we're connected together, it just helps us to breathe better and to become more and to grow together and to achieve more. And we do that together. So mm. that, that's, that's the ultimate conclusion. I've kind of given away the, the ending of the book here. A little <laughs> bit. But that, that's, that's the great concluding point of it all is that we don't just get self-empowered. We get power far beyond what we anticipated when we recognize the strength of the collective and the community. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, you know, a huge part of, of, of my own journey as well. And, and, you know, obviously yours is that sense of, okay, yeah, doing all of this stuff for self, for, you know, to grow, to, to evolve, to develop. Yeah, yeah. But when you start to bring that sense of togetherness into it, you know, through sharing, through communicating, through giving to others, receiving from others, it does take on another level of, of, of growth. You know, there's a big kind mm -hmm. of spike in that development in that, that, yeah. that, that, that yeah, togetherness, that connectedness. And it's, 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 it's really beautiful, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's where, interestingly, that's where you start to discover the value and meaning of your suffering. Mm. This brings us back to the beginning because we talked about the suffering bit at the front, at the front end of the, of the podcast. Um, th this is where it starts to suddenly we start to get the meaning, which is the valuable thing. Suffering without meaning is really hard, but suffering with purpose becomes something else. It no longer becomes suffering. It becomes something different. So when all of a sudden, when you're, when you've gone through that suffering, but you've got that interconnected community and strength, that helps you through and then you help people back, all of a sudden you can become the go-to person with the things that you've struggled with. Now, all of a sudden that struggle has meaning because you're empowering and helping other people's lives to become better as a result of your own experience. Now it counts for something. 
you know, and, and that's what you want to have happen. Now, all of a sudden you can find purpose and greater identity um, than you ever had before. You know, so who you become and who you are and who you believe yourself to be can really be transformed, uh, not just in knowing how to deal with the problems through the virtues, but through our interconnectedness, we realize that our suffering can have greater meaning because it can give value and support uh, to others that need it. Mm. And that's, that's the great part of it too. We get added strength through the community, but we get added identity and added meaning and added purpose for being as a result of the community, because then that suffering has a place to exist in a way that really contributes and lifts those around us. And, th and that's, that becomes the beauty of the suffering then. Now, all of a sudden, yeah, I can handle this and I can go through it. And, and when we understand and appreciate that, when that moment comes back to us where we get hit again and we go, oh, you know, life's knocked me to my knees, it gives you added strength to get back up because you've got some context as to, I can do this because I know I'm going to be able to help someone else through it afterwards. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's great. That's, yeah. uh, it, gives, it gives meaning to the suffering when we know that it's not just us in isolation. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you, when you, when you shift your perspective to, to seeing it that way, again, it, a lot changes for you. It changes your approach to what it means to be suffering. It changes your approach to what it means to, to experience growth, to develop, to, you know, to kind of evolve, to change, to adapt. And yeah, I think it's a really, really great learning, like overall learning, isn't it? And yeah. of how it comes full circle as well. Like you said, you know, we were talking about suffering at the beginning and how even talking through the virtues and, and everything else has kind of looped back around to the begin, beginning point again, which is very, yeah. very lifelike in that life is cyclical like that. So yeah, yeah. Like it's been, it's been great. And I think, you know, hearing your journey and the, the kind of the learnings and the virtues uh, really powerful um, and I think a lot of people can take a lot of value not just from this episode but from uh, from the book itself and I know there's quite a lot probably for the listeners to digest um, in all of that because you know it's one of those where I think you have to listen through maybe twice to kind of really yeah. get it to click and take notes or whatever um, but just to, to, to finish up I have one kind of final question for you mm -hmm. um, and that is what does happiness mean to you? Uh, what does happiness mean to me? Um, to, to me, my happiness is centered in my family relationships. Um, that's, you know, it, it means a lot um, to be happy. Uh, I'm grateful for the moments when it comes, um, but it really does revolve around my family relationships. Uh, I've, I've put them at the center of my life and they give me the motivation to work hard when it's tough. Um, and to pick myself up when I get knocked down um, because the suffering, the struggle, they often, they, they seem to be essential ingredients in the development and acquisition of my happiness. Um, I can't really have a full measure of happiness, as we said earlier on today, without the struggle or the friction that precedes it. Yeah. Um, so what does it mean to be happy? Um, it means that there is that paradox of suffering that exists as an essential element or ingredient within happiness. Um, and that's okay. That's, that's what I love about it is it adds color and diversity to it. But I, I, I'm grateful for happiness when it comes. I have it regularly. I'm pleased to say I'm not saying it comes infrequently. I have a lot of it. Um, and uh, I'm grateful for my family that gives it to me. Um, 
but uh, yeah, that's, that, that would be my answer. Happiness is all about relationships. Yeah. That's really beautiful, man. Really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And just so the listener is aware, where can they find the book um, and where can they keep up to date with you online if they want to see what else you're up to? Cool. Uh, The book is available uh, all over the place, but Amazon is probably the safest place to get it or the the quickest, easiest place to access it. So you can get it online at Amazon. Just type in the empowerment paradox. Uh, You'll find it. um, You'll find it there. Beautiful yellow cover. Um, And to reach me, uh, ben-woodward.com dot com or uh, empowermentparadox.com both websites lead to the same place um, and on there you'll have links to all my social media well thank you for joining me today ben it's an absolute pleasure and awesome. yeah thank wishing you all the all the best with the the rest of the release of the book and everything else cheers thanks so much alex So there we have it guys I really hope that you enjoyed this episode with Ben and as I said at the beginning his journey resonates a lot with mine so it was really great to kind of chop it up with him and share some of our own learnings through this episode with you and if you like what you heard please be sure to leave a review and even better still hit the subscribe button so that you get the latest episode straight to your phone and if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode then be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this. I started this podcast to help inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing the love so as ever you can connect with me over on instagram at i am alex manzi hit me up there let me know what you thought of this episode and if you do want to grab a copy of my book the search for clarity be sure to hit up thedreamersdisease.co.uk forward slash clarity for more information and where you can get the book so thank you for listening and i'll see you for the next episode this podcast is produced by unedited